take that definition and you start applying that into those areas, you're going to realize how woefully uh, you miss the mark because those are intense, intense uh, scriptures. There are two secular examples that come to mind. Those of you who are really old from the 70s will know uh, a singer you probably don't know in the front row called Olivia Newton-John. She had a song that was called Hopelessly Devoted to You. And when I was, I don't know why it came to mind, but in the secular world, they have all these things and they describe love. And yet we have perfect love. We have the real love of God in our hearts. I honestly can't say that I'm hopelessly devoted to anything except my wife and Jesus. But the rest of it, I do come up short. And then in the Hindu religion, they, we, we call ourselves disciples or believers. They call themselves devotees. They are devoted to what they do. So, uh, you know, I think we have this DNA, this New Testament DNA within us. It's different. It's, it's something that is not the norm. And, and we need to focus on it more, get more. I, I don't want to say that we, we become... Uh, immunized against it. We're so used to being quoted Acts 2.42. I mean, I'm, I have a, I've been in radio for a long time, and I even had a radio show I used to call Action 2.42 that was based on the principles. But we do become a bit immune to it. Uh, you know, we as a church, we're pretty good at fellowship. We like to hang out and, and fellowship and spend time in each other's homes. Uh, we had the the gold swains in our swimming pool yesterday we got it right for the first time this summer and that they were there and uh well i don't know where i'm inviting them back again but we'll we'll see uh, we, we've learned to to pray especially as a community and with uh andre and mike's illness i mean we really came together as a church to pray and i think we don't need uh, any more mics or andres to get us praying <laughs> We'd rather not have them ill and, and, and continue to pray. Um, but we could do better. I mean, when it comes to breaking of bread, communion, uh, it really isn't something we should only do once a month. Maybe we, need, we shouldn't do it in church at all and, and, and keep it to our communities where we break bread together in our homes as we have in a, a meal. I mean, why don't we take our meals or briars and break bread together? And just, just remember Jesus the meal. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's, uh, it's, it's sacrilegious having bourrevos and communion. I mean, <laughs> I've had Coke and biscuits, I think, the one time as a communion meal. But for many of us, devotion to God's Word, which is closely linked to our personal devotions and quiet time, it's one of the weakest muscles of our faith, which we exercise or rather fail to exercise. Okay, so where, where's this taking us, being devoted to God's Word? We don't see it in Acts 2.42, if you know, probably have, have worked that out. And it's a, a devoted to the apostles' teaching. So who were the apostles and what was their teaching? We know that there were 13 of them, uh, the 12 plus Paul or minus one plus one when uh, Judas died. But Jesus, you know, he took these guys and he mentored, he discipled them, he put everything into them, the essence of his teachings he modeled kingdom living to them. I mean, they all lived and experienced these teachers. They did life. As we like to say in church, we do life together. They did life, the ultimate, with Jesus. And 
they, they were the ones who had to replicate. There was only 12 of them. And Jesus took a big risk by depending on 12 humans. I mean, we, we know amongst us as well, you know, if, if he had to depend on us, I don't know how many of the apostles would have come out of us. Although he took failures, lots of failures, and he turned them into a people of, of significance and substance. So th- devoted to the apostles' teaching, who they were, which leads to the apostles, what was the, the apostles' teaching? At the early stage in the church history, there were only the Hebrew scriptures. We only had uh, maybe even not the full canon as we have it now with all the prophets. And it was at a very early stage, the apostles taught these scriptures in the light of the new covenant that Jesus had taught and, and interpret, interpreted for them. But for most of them, it was nothing new. When you, all the disciples and the apostles, and we see as Paul in his uh, missionary journeys, the guys he took along, nothing new. I mean, boys and girls attended uh, school at the synagogue from five or, five or six. They began and memorizing and studying the Torah. Age 12, boys started doing more complicated oral and interpretation. They became a religious adult at the age of 13. Can you imagine that? 13-year-olds were actually religious adults. Uh, I see we would have one here. Um, Students learned a trade while they were studying and entered into full ability about the age of 30. So these guys that Jesus had got together had already an understanding of the Scriptures. But the, the, the New Testament portion of the Bible was under development at that stage. So as we say they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, uh, the, this was the rudimentary beginnings of our New, Te- our New Testament. Paul's teachings were limited physically to where he was at the time. And then he started writing letters. And as you know, uh, a lot of the New Testament is letters from Paul and others. And uh, we can clearly deduce that from this that the apostles' teachings that we need to be devoted to is the beginnings of God's word in the New Testament. So what does this mean in a practical sense, uh, being devoted to God's word? The most important factor for me is that it gives me the ability to discern what is right and what is wrong in my life. It helps me. It will help you to discern what if what I'm saying is right or wrong. Because if I say anything that's contrary to the Word of God, if you haven't been reading God's Word and devoted it, you can't tell whether I'm telling you my own story or I'm actually speaking the words of God from the, from the, from the Bible. We must allow God's Word to interpret God's Word and not us. If He doesn't say it, then it does, He doesn't say it. You know, hidden meanings, secret revelations, or obscure interpretations do just that. They must stay hidden. Because they have no value to us. And if we know and we devote to God's word, we're going to understand these things. So, um, one of the scriptures that's meant an incredible amount to me as I've grown up in the faith and studied God's word is Acts 17, 11 to 12. You can turn there. Probably one of my all-time favorite verses. I'll read from the New Living Translation. And the people of Berea were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek men and women. It's quite a scripture. I mean, because it's in the book of Acts, we don't perhaps give it as much 
credibility is if we're reading something from Galatians or Romans or Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, those really meaty uh, texts. But there are three very important principles here. The first one is they listened eagerly to Paul's message. How many of you are listening eagerly to my message? Now, you know, uh, it's not, uh, not me, but when God get someone to bring a message or, or your elders feel God is leading in a certain direction, we should be eagerly listening and putting it into action. I mean, that was part of my message in, in July, coming out of what Dylan had said the, the previous two weeks ago. It doesn't just say they listened, they, they, and based on their personal experiences, made a judgment, checked a few verses to see if they lined up with their personal theology. You know, it was, they listened. They received Paul and his message eagerly, and then probably because they hadn't heard anything like this, and despite the, the fact that it sounded amazing, they still searched the scriptures. Remember the background I gave you that uh, young men, adults, they knew the scriptures. Many of them knew the, the Torah and all of it by heart. So they knew what was there. They knew a lot of the prof- prophecies. And my next point is they, they searched the scripture. I mean, this implies examination. The Greek word here is anakrino, which means to investigate, examine, inquire, scrutinize, sift, question. These are all very, very strong words. And specifically in a forensic sense of a judge who holds an investigation, interrogates witnesses. And then to judge, estimate, determine the excellence or defects of any person or thing. So he's, he's chosen a very strong word. And then they not only search the scriptures, they search them daily. Again, another implication for us that God's word is not something you read on a Wednesday night or uh, when you follow the text or you don't even bring your Bible and you just read it up on the screen. I mean, that's not doing something daily. It was an ongoing process. This was a lifestyle of searching the scriptures. And that's what I think what we've lost a lot of that. Do you know that at the synagogue here in Musenberg, they get a minion, which is 10 men together, and they still meet morning and evening. I mean, we've, we've lost a lot of the strength of our faith. I mean, imagine us guys meet, meeting morning and every, evening, even for a short time every day. I mean, you really emphasize and uh, focus on your faith. I mean, I've been in, in the services, and it is very boring, and my Jewish friends sit there, some sleep. But, I mean, I think it's the action that they follow something very, very... Uh, with a devotion, without the spirit, I suppose. Um, this was a lifestyle of searching the scriptures. You know, I don't think there's anything new under the sun, although we, uh, what they were hearing was quite new. It's no different to the barrage of ideas and theologies we get, whether it be on, on the internet, a new message, a video, or whatever. We face a lot more in this digital world, and we have to sift through things, which is why it's so important in our local church that prophetic words, uh, teaching comes through the local church. I mean, that's how it was designed. You know, watching uh, a latest uh, teaching video from a big church in America, you know, it's not, it's not applicable to us. God is speaking to us locally. He's speaking through our leaders. He's giving direction through our elders about where he wants this congregation to go in Musenberg, which is a, a, a village that is full of new age, Sangomas, mediums, and all the rest of it. We're a very strange place. So we'd be very different to Los Angeles 
or San Francisco or New York, wherever it might be. So how do we apply this scripture, this uh, Acts 17, 11 to 12? Um, let me give you an illustration from my life. For me personally, it's always easier to illustrate. I don't mean to pop any balloons, but uh, maybe. One of the charismatic doctrines over the years from the USA and Pentecostal churches around the world, which has been quite confusing at times, has been this whole thing of a rhema logos word. I've got a rhema word from God, a logos word, uh, and people have, it all started with old, uh, Paul Yongi Cho, the big Korean guy, a very respected leader, although he ended his career in disgrace and in jail. Uh, he maintained in his book, The Fourth Dimension, that we should incubate our future and hatch the results and speak in a rhema word, releases Christ. And then according to him, it was a specific word to a specific person in a specific uh, situation waiting on the, upon the Lord. Now, it always something never gelled with me about this rhema logos thing. So, uh, I was fortunate to have been able to uh, study New Testament Greek at Theological College. And uh, Marco, well, where's Marco? I, I lectured introductory uh, an introductory course on the School of Biblical Studies. He did the YM School of Biblical Studies where you read the Bible seven times in nine months and you chart the whole Bible. I mean, that's next level stuff. So I had a few extra tools in my study bag and uh, I decided to search the scriptures like they did, the, the noble Bereans. And I, I went through every... Greek word in the New Testament, logos and rhema, and I found that by searching the scriptures, there's absolutely no evidence that there's a logos or a rhema word. There's nothing. They use so interchangeably. But what I'm saying is, I searched the scriptures diligently. Dr. Paul Yongi Cho was an amazing Christian leader, and we take so much from people, and we say, well, if they say it, it must be true. But we as Christians, we still need to when we hear a message, if I say something or Dylan says something and you're not sure, go search the scriptures, go see. And if there is a, a, uh, an issue, go chat it over with them. Speak to your community leader or speak to one of the elders. But we, we need to be diligent in our devotion to God's word, not just to sit and, as came out with our, our, our last gathering, sit and receive. We are to give as well. And, you know, so I came to that conclusion just because I searched the scriptures. And you might say, well, you know, you had some theological training, you learned a few things, but the playing fields have been leveled. What I had and what it took me years of study, we have now. Google is the most amazing place and there are amazing study tools. And in preparation for this preach, and now that took me several days and many hours of study looking at each word. I did the same research now, and within, when I was pre preparing, within minutes, I, had, I came to the same conclusion. Other people had done studies. They showed the different words. They gave substantiating proof. We are able to search the scriptures more than we ever did before. I'm not saying going and seeing what another guy on a video or this teaching, but to use the tools that we have available to us that in the past you needed a theological college, and we can search the scriptures. And through that, we grow, we understand. And the, 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 the great thing about it is the more we study, the more enthused we get because you're spending time in God's word. And God's word will, it's alive and active. Now, uh, 
at some point, you need to say, uh, I'm going to study, I'm going to search the scriptures, but I've got to do it from a perspective of searching and not questioning. I mean, when, when one of our, our leaders or elders stands up and, and preaches his heart out, and what he says, you don't say, well, I'm not going to accept, I'm not going to believe it immediately until I've checked out the word, what you're saying is the truth. No, no, I'm not saying that at all. We still need to accept that God is speaking through leaders. He's placed godly leaders above us. He's placed people who have studied God's word and are listening to him for direction and taking us in a certain direction. But my point is that we need to become Bereans of the word. We need to search the scriptures daily. Listen eagerly to the word of God taught in the study, not to question, as I said, but to study, meditate, and ponder what God is saying through that word. Um, as I said, if you do have concerns, chat with it. Mike preaches a, a, a message, and there's something that just doesn't gel with you. It might be lack of understanding. It might be a slight blind spot. What I love about our elders is that they've got clay feet. They understand that they might make mistakes. They're not perfect. But God, is, God speaks. Um, just a little a side note here. If you're preaching or teaching and you use a Greek, Greek word, know that I'll be checking it out. <laughs> I have a theological library on my, on my phone. But... Uh, so we, we, we have to grow in our relationship with God's word personally. This is not, there's certain things that are corporate. Worship is personal, but in a corporate sense. But we've got to get there. You know, your personal study might be couple study, husband and wife, or getting together in twos and threes, or small groups. In Josh Gen, our communities, our home groups, we don't, they're not Bible studies. That's where we, we grow where we learn to fellowship, do life together, uh, bringing us to a point of biblical unity. I mean, we might, we might do a, a, a study. It's, we're not saying we don't do that, but it's not like I grew up in the Baptist church, and man, that was like the word, the word, the word. We did Wednesday Bible study, then we had scripture examinations and Sunday school pre-baptism classes, took 12 weeks of spending time in the word, but we had no sense of community. That's where I grew up. We studied God's Word on a Wednesday, then the rest of the week, there was nothing. So, it's, it's taking personal responsibility for your digging deeper and studying God's Word. So, why should we be doing what the Bereans do, did? Um, yeah, more than 50 years ago, I wanted a Bible. My uncle was part of the Gideons, which was a, a Bible. They placed Bible in hotels, prisons, hospitals. And I knew he had Bibles. So I said, I wanted one. I hadn't, I hadn't had a Bible. And of course, he couldn't give me one. They weren't allowed to do that. You didn't just hand out Bibles to people. So he bought me one. And in the front of it, he wrote this verse, which has stood, I think it's nearly 55 years now, 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And this is one of the reasons we need to be Bereans, where we can accurately, correctly, rightly handle the word of truth, the word of God. If we're not doing that, it's to our own detriment. 
We need to develop an accurate representation of the good news and the truth of the gospel for ourselves. We need to understand that. In apologetics, you need to give reason why you believe. If someone comes up to you, you or you witnessing, they ask you a question. You need to know the, the, the fundamental biblical answer to those questions. Uh, I'm not talking about big things, you know, evolution. And I mean, these things can get really hectic. Why is God bringing, allowing pain in the world? But just the, the basic, the fundamentals in God's word. Um, it gives us the ability to correct false teaching, teachings or understand false teachings. Nothing silences error better than truth. And even in those con difficult conversations when you're having a conversation, when you're witnessing, when you, when you speak the truth, you give the truth of God's word, there's something about it that has power in it that the person cannot stand against it. 2 Timothy 3.16 is also very clear about this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And this is a sense of military examples that Paul often gives in the New Testament, that we need to be trained and equipped. No army goes out untrained or equipped. Some of you know that I work as an auxiliary law enforcement officer. And our training is that we need to know all the different aspects of what we're going to face. And it's sometimes it's tough. We carry 15 kilograms of equipment. And me, I'm 63 now. And it can, after a 12-hour shift, I can feel that bulletproof vest on my shoulders. But unless I'm trained and equipped when the situation arises, I'm not, not, I'm not going to know what to do. And if it's so logical as a military guy, as a police officer, whoever it might be, that we should do that, it should be just as logical for us to be prepared and to be equipped. And of course we do this in terms of Acts 17.11 by searching the scriptures. Paul in Colossians 3.16 is very clear in his instructions to the Colossians. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. And that Greek word translated means exceedingly, it means abundantly. It's only going to occur if you spend time Plenty of time in God's word. In James 1.21 it says we need to receive the word implanted or rooted. I could go on and on and on. There's, the Bible is just full of rich verses uh, giving descriptions and instructions around God's word. I want to conclude with James 1.21 to 25. I'm using the, the New Living Translation. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Harsh, that one. I mean, not harsh, strong. And then it goes on and says, And humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has power to save souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You know, in our day and age, we love to listen. My wife, Renee, she listens to the Bible all the time. I say, don't only listen, read it. Because when you veg out, you're lying in the bed, you're listening to it, it doesn't have the same impact. You must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. I don't know if that's, well, some people remember what they look like after they've been looking in the mirror. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for, for doing it. Sometimes if you don't have blessing in your life, maybe you need to go back to the fundamentals and see what God's word says and then do it. 
a very interesting statement I was reading when I was preparing. God's word rooted in your hearts can only grow in the soil of obedience, which is precisely uh, what it says. Don't just listen to it. Do it as well. So my challenge to you is to be devoted to God's word through study, searching those scriptures and accurately handling it. Reading, just read it. I remember coming on a holiday before we moved to Cape Town when we were engaged. So that's just over 40 years ago. And Ren and I, we spent so much time just reading. I can read in the car. So between Cape Town and Durban, I read my Bible in the back seat and I, didn't, I don't get car sick. And I mean, that memory sticks with me. Meditating, meditating on God's word is another whole sermon I can preach. But take time to chew over those amazing uh, scriptures. Ponder, think, and dwell. And then what we don't do, we used to do it when we were kids at Sunday school with memory verses. Memorize. That's what the young Jewish boys would do. And even the adults. They could memorize the whole Torah. God's word has been given to us from sinning to instruct us and, of course, to give us daily hope, especially when the trying times come. Take a hold of it, read it, memorize it, study, meditate, because the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which became the Word of God. Amazing. God's Word. There's nothing like it in this world outside of Jesus. Jesus is the living Word. Thank you.